We are back to Proverbs 21. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord as the rivers of water. He turns it wherever he will. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the hearts. We looked at verse 2 before. And it's such an important verse because it has to do with the foundation, which is integrity. The observation is that people can always say good things about themselves and promote themselves as good people. But the Lord has the actual accurate appraisal. And it's important for us to know that as believers, we always have that option to either look at ourselves and think of ourselves according to what we think is right, our own standard. That standard may be a derivative of God's standard, nonetheless is imperfect because it's according to what we think mixed with what God says, which can produce false appraisal. Human nature is not to like correction. The Tower of Babel, we see all the people gathering together and they kept on going. Whereas in Noah's day, they kept on going. They did everything that they wanted to do. And similar, in the book of Judges, they kept on doing what they felt But there was a man, Abraham, his descendants, Isaac and Jacob. You see, they were not bad people. Even Jacob was put up by his mother to go and do the deception. And even though he bargained with his brother to gain his birthright, in the total analysis, you see his life after these things that were not right. There's a great reformation that happened to him. He wasn't a vicious, vile, evil person, as you see many people are. He was a selfish person looking for gain. But he was not a murderer. He was not one who continued to keep up that deceptiveness when he left his home to escape the wrath of his brother. As God kept dealing with him, he kept learning. And he learned that he needs to go to God to find out what God thinks, what God says. And so this uh, verse 2 in Proverbs 21, we can never ever gloss over this. But it's a verse that's the keeper in the sense that we need to always have that in front of our eyes, that we can always justify ourselves in any behavior. We can always do things in a way that is advantageous to us 
but in the sight of God it may be altogether wrong. And an example is when God says to forgive others that have done wrong unto us. We heard yesterday in the sermon we may be slow to do that also. Hallelujah. God is so gracious to us that He's able to soften the hardest heart. And as we learn by the power of the Spirit to overcome the flesh, the quickness to which we can actually embark upon the total surrender to God's Word depends upon a basic sense of honesty and to come humbly to the Lord to learn of His ways. And God continually washes us with His Word. He continually chips away at the rough edges and continues to show us there's a lot of growing to do and God will help us to grow. It's His will that we grow. On the contrary, or I should say in a different vein, you see the first verse, the God is sovereign over every human heart. And if we have things that we need to get done as God's people, we remember Cyrus, that as soon as he defeated Babylon, for years they were held in captivity, for 70 years. And prior to the release of everyone, groups of Jews were given the freedom to go back it seems suddenly he just took over the Babylonian Empire as a Persian king and God gave release. God put it in his heart to let the people go. Whatever we need, whatever we are dealing with, perhaps bureaucracy and politicians and people in power and authority, institutions and agencies, things that we need we can trust God we can ask the Heavenly Father to give us his divine favor and God is able to move people's hearts through our prayers we're able to pray to the Lord we're able to pray to God and see him move on our behalf, rather than fight or fret, rather than contend in a carnal human way or worry. We can go to the one who is sovereign over every heart. He's able to not only weigh the heart, verse 2, but he's able to sway the heart. Hallelujah. How many spouses can say that they have prayed when all else seemed impossible? They couldn't convince the spouse, the other party in the marriage, to do things God's way or yield to this wisdom of God. But nothing's getting through. There's a wall. There's contention. But then the spouse goes on her knees or his knees 
asks the intervention, the divine intervention of the Lord, and God comes through. Miraculously, the prayer has gone up to heaven and God has answered from heaven and touched the other person and there's a change of heart. God weighs the heart and He sways the heart. The will is still intact, is still intact, but God knows how to speak to someone. He spoke to Lot. He spoke to Pharaoh. He spoke to foreign people as well as relatives to protect his people who are spiritually related to him, to God, in a relationship, in a covenant. God is able to speak to people on our behalf. God is able to speak to people to also warn them, do my prophets no harm. And do not speak anything, good or bad. Lot saw that. I should say not Lot. Um, Laban. Laban. And Pharaoh. And the Philistine king and many others. God comes and speaks. It's important to know. We can trust God to let us know where we stand and God can work in and through us to let us understand whether we are under the influence of God or under the influence of the devil and any assessment or decision we make any attempts to justify ourselves whether it's righteous or not David could say Lord my hands are clean when he's walking with God and God did not argue against that. Neither did he with Job for the integrity. But there are many others who did wrong and God had to contend with them, especially the nation of Israel. In our lives we have to know whether our greatest desire is to be clear in the sight of God. In the New Testament is written, not the one that commends himself is right or justified but the one whom God commends. We spoke of Matthew 25 the other day, that people came and tried to justify themselves. Lord, when do we see you hungry and destitute, naked and prison, sick and all these things? They try to justify themselves. Lord, you, you're probably making a mistake. We never saw you in that condition. Otherwise, surely we would have helped. But he said, when you didn't do to the least of my brothers, that's when you didn't do to me. <clears throat> that assessment must come from God. And our desire should be, according to this verse, that God will give accurate assessment of where we stand. At the same time, when we're walking with God, we can trust God to speak to people and move people's hearts. The way He does it, He speaks. God may threaten them because they're in the wrong. He may warn them he may corner them into a situation where they may have to face themselves and think. They may have to go through some pain, some adversities, because they're interfering with God's people. He says, do my prophets no harm.
the adversities that come. We've always said this from the Word of God. They can either come because we are seeking the Lord, in which case God will bring us out as gold and crown us. Blessed is the man that endures trials, but written in the book of James. And after he's tried, he'll receive a crown of life. On the other hand, there are trials that come as thorns and thistles to the person who's not walking with God, and that's God's mercy to chasten that person, to corner that person before they self-destruct. God's mercy comes and puts them into certain situations hoping. God's hope is that they would turn to God. For the believer, for those who are seeking God, James 1.12 says, Blessed is the man who endures trials. Temptation. Comes through, enduring. Doing the right thing for when he is approved. When he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Praise God. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt, does he himself tempt anyone. So that instigation and that temptation to handle something in the wrong way and not respond the way God wants, but to do it in a carnal way and do it in a worldly way, do it in a fallen human way, is not from God. We can never say, because I am going through this trial, it's got the worst of me. Or the worst of me has come out. We shouldn't attribute that to God, that God has put us in such a situation as to cause us to fall. God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does He tempt anyone to do evil. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. So it's the nature of the heart. If the heart really has integrity, that heart cannot be tempted to do evil and fall. If the heart has integrity, it can be tempted to do evil but not fall. If there's no integrity, it can be tempted to do evil and it will fall. The one who has integrity will not stumble. And so, whether it's a youngster or an adult, we can know always who's actually possessing us at the moment. Whether it's an evil spirit, an unclean spirit, a contentious spirit, all from the devil, or the gentle spirit, the Holy Spirit, God. As basic as it appears. If this is not settled and we don't know that we're actually doing God's will, but we are being led in different directions, even in a religious sense we can be led. Many people have been led away by that angel of light, Lucifer, 
Satan masquerading as God's voice. They've been drawn into areas and it may appear spiritual but it's not from God. It's a very dangerous thing. So if the devil can't come to someone directly with some carnal temptation to commit immorality or theft and they've decided I'm not going to do this anymore in any way, shape or form. He'll come in a religious sense but can be termed as a white cobra. Still deadly but appearing to be spiritual. And the persuasion will come from Satan through various avenues to say, do this, do that. Think this way. And a terrible fall can happen. Early in the morning, the Lord was showing me Genesis 3. I'd like someone to read Genesis chapter 3. Verses 1 to 5. Praise the Lord. This is the New King James Version. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, But of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. Praise the Lord. Praise God. So you see that um the enemy came and he was successful in bringing his thoughts and injecting it because the woman showed her arm as it were he literally injected his poison his lie into the woman because she was willing she said here I'll take that Satan had a particular conversation and strategy. He came to the woman with this approach. What did the Lord say? That you cannot eat of every tree of the garden? 
You know that tree which you just said you can't eat of? The reason it was said to you is because when you eat of it, you're not going to die. What God said that you're going to die, that's not really true. What's true is actually that when you eat of it, you'll actually be more alive than ever, having the knowledge of good and evil, just like God, and you can be as God. The appeal to something more spiritual, quote-unquote, than what God has prescribed. There's no such thing as more spiritual than what God gives. But this is how he came across, and she could not catch that. That this is strange, because it's going counter to what God said. Eve, in one sense, reminds me of Dinah, the daughter of Jacob. Why? Because there was a a curiosity that many people may say is quite innocent. The person just wants to know. In Genesis 34, it says, Now when Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom she had born to Jacob, went out to see the daughters of the land. That's when trouble came. This is not Israel yet. It's a foreign territory that has to be conquered. But this girl was curious and she wanted to go and see the daughters of the land. The term in our modern world and life and society, curiosity kills the cat, can easily be applied to human beings relationship to the devil but it doesn't have to be with the regular things it can be actually a spiritual quest where I want to know more there's a curiosity and there's an impulsivity we can check ourselves in this way to prevent catastrophe how many of us can stay put when we don't hear a certain answer from the source where we should hear it from? But we go on a text frenzy or a communication frenzy. Rather than wait and see if God wants me not to know something now and wait, there'll be 59 different contact attempts to different people to gather what I need to know when it's really not that urgent and it doesn't concern me where God may want me to just wait and pray the reason that's mentioned is that can be the very type of attitude and action that can open us up to spiritual disaster where the enemy can take one off on a tangent this happened many times. You just have to see church history as well as the lives of people around us and even our own lives if it has happened that 
when that patient waiting on God is not there, when that implicit trust that God said is not good for me, I don't need to know anymore, then the appeal can be made from Satan to the one who's open. Very crucial lesson to learn and to change our strategy because the devil has a certain strategy. And he works with impatience, he works with curiosity, he works with this desire for some hidden knowledge or to show that I have some hidden knowledge. Appeal to pride as if I have a, a certain esoteric connection. It's a form of pride. Unless it's actually the case, there can be many, many counterfeits. It was actually the case with Moses. He actually had such a connection with God, like Abraham. God could say, this is my friend. I speak to him face to face. He actually hears things that other people do not hear. And it's from me. But then you had uh, 250 men with a couple of other families that challenged that and said, God doesn't just speak to you. He reveals things to me too. And in the New Covenant, He does. But there are particular functions and gifts that God gives and callings that are at another level. The Apostle Paul is one such person. He said there are things that I saw caught up to the third heaven. It's not lawful for me to utter. No one else could claim that. John saw certain things that no one saw when he wrote Revelation. That's not some esoteric hunt in the negative sense. There's no pride there because it's actually the case. A person can go to one who won the Olympics and who talks about it and say, well, look at him. He thinks he's so uh, great. Always talking about how he won the Olympics or she won the Olympics. The masses of people may look at that individual who's quite obviously jealous as if they're off their rocker because the truth is the person is number one in that particular field. And it's not necessarily boasting to say that I, I won the competition or I have this expertise that's been put to the test and I came out on top. But there is a delusion a delusive spirit, if you will, that makes a person think that they have it all together and uh, they're able to see things and hear things. And if it's not from the Lord and they begin on that journey, it may not be because they're jealous of the real thing or the people who really are gifted. It may be I'm curious to see 
if I can also hear and do and not be careful to check with the Lord Lord is it really from you and I, am I supposed to be in this business of doing this Eve was given a, a very great position she had the greatest position a human being can have with the Lord along with her husband Adam that of intimate fellowship an intimate revelation of God an intimate commission from God to follow the commandments the prescription of how to be happy in that garden where they were created and placed Satan came and his conversation and strategy was what did the Lord tell you? that you can't eat of every tree in the garden that the tree which he said you can't eat of it you will die from if you touch it but no, 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 no that's you know, you press into that and you'll actually be like God. He didn't tell you that part, did he? The devil's objective was the very thing that God said not to do. The devil said, you know what? That's the very thing I want you to do and I'll make you do it. Disobey God. Go ahead. But before the disobedience, the lure to disobey was successful with Eve he had to get it at doubt what God said and to desire something God did not want her to have. We can look at that and say, what's wrong with that? Why would God ever not want the woman to reach forth and eat of the fruit of that tree of knowledge of good and evil? Why? Isn't it a good thing to have a knowledge of good and evil? That's the danger. Once God says no, we have to be careful that our human rationalization doesn't come fueled by the devil's prompts and get us quickly on a roller coaster, eventually going down. Eve began to go with the devil's suggestion, thinking it through, rationalizing that it's actually good to do what God said not to do. Then she fell. She came to that conclusion because of the devil's suggestion. That you know God said not to do this, but why would he say that? That very question, why would he say that? Not to know more of the justification or the righteousness of God, but to see if there's a way where I can modify the commandment or altogether do away with it and just have a hand and have a part in this quote-unquote blessing that the devil says I can have this white cobra we must realize the coming under the spell of Satan will occur when we listen to him and then the carnal sensibilities of the human being are heightened and the sinful, quote-unquote, logical reasoning and human sinful desires will overtake a person. That's what happened to Eve. 
He didn't come and say, I want you to disobey God today. Go eat of that and you'll die. No. He said, did God say that? Well, I want to tell you why he probably said that. He's holding that on you. He didn't tell you the whole deal. You're going to have a great life if you just do this because look at it. When she considered, then she saw, you know, the the fruit of that tree is pleasant to the eyes. Never realized that. As I look at it, it's good for food. That's another plus. Not only that, if you get your hands on this, you're going to be so wise, knowing good and evil. This is what causes people to deliberately disobey God when he says, relocate to a place. They insist on staying. Or he says, stay, and they insist on relocating. When God says, don't take that job, they take it. When he says, take it, they don't take it. When God says, I want you to wait, and I'll bring you a godly person to marry, they don't listen, and they go with their carnal sensibilities. Then within a marriage, even if it was not exactly God's will, God's permissive will, obviously allowed it. God said, now I want you to take these steps and fight for the marriage. Now I can sanctify and change your spouse. He said, no, I think I'll just let that person do what he or she wants to do. And uh, if they want to quit, I quit too. At any point in our lives, we can decide to do it God's way or do it our way. And the devil will give us all the reasons and all the logic and all the uh, support to help us to do what will profit us, which is, which is contrary to God's will, because it's not real profit. It's an illusion. It's better to trust God and just stay away from what he strictly prohibits so we can live and prosper both now and for eternity the king's heart is in the heart of the Lord in the hand of the Lord and as the rivers of water as the river can be redirected God is able to redirect even the highest power on earth that person's heart he's sovereign God is the king of all kings he's the lord of all lords we can be confident that If some consulate, some establishment, some entity, some person is so hard-hearted and so inflexible and they have all the power to release that paper or that permission or that blessing and it's just not moving. It's stuck at that table. We can appeal to the king of all kings and say, Lord, move this thing for your child's sake. God is able to do a miracle. For us, and for him it's a light thing. At the same time, even more important than having that accessibility to God to move another's heart on, beha on our behalf to gain some benefit is to know that our hearts are completely surrendered to the Lord to do what he will to impart his wisdom and his desires and his 
blessing of being able to stop being impulsive and trust God. Wait on Him. Imagine if Eve, instead of listening to the devil, this foreign entity that came in there in the garden, speaking something totally contrary to what God said, imagine if she resisted him and said, no, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear anymore. I don't want to hear it. God said not to touch it. That's it. Who are you? Get out of here. And then suppose she went and asked God, Lord, I met this intruder and he said this, but I didn't give in, Lord. Is there anything else you want me to say? Uh, anything else you want to say to me regarding that tree? Maybe the Lord would have said some more. The reason I told you not to touch it is this. Let me explain a little more. Or, you might have said, no, that's, that's all. Either way, total contentment because she did the Father's will. We need to know ourselves. The greatest enemy we have, as is mentioned recently, is not the devil. Although he's the arch enemy of God, when it comes to human beings, we have to subdue our own passions, our own desires, the old nature. Because if it's not subdued, if it's not detected when it's trying to creep back into the Christian life, then that becomes the avenue through which the arch enemy gets in and clobbers a Christian. But if I understand myself and what are the certain behaviors that are still there that I can't be patient, I can't wait. I mentioned about the texting or the contacting or phone calls or consultation. If something is not given or understood, no one said anything about this. This is strictly from this morning call, this message from the Word of God. That curiosity and impulsivity is a dangerous thing, are dangerous characteristics. For a human being. We need to be able to wait on God. To relax. And if there's anything troubling. Go to God first. And see whether he wants us to. Know some of this anxiety. You know the logical thing is. I've got to know what to do. Because my plan depends upon it. The day depends upon it. The week depends upon it. The month depends upon it. But does that mean necessarily that God wants us to impulsively begin to get frantic and want to know? That urge to want to know now has caused many disaster in people's lives. And it may not be so apparent in our lives now, but that trait, if it's not crucified, can cause a disaster down the road. God's wisdom is he said something or he gave a limited information. It's up to us to be content and be thankful and check our hearts and know that God is saying about my heart that I'm exactly where I should be. I'm able to wait upon him. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength as opposed to not waiting on him, getting frantic and looking to humanity and human help and thinking that I'm satisfied now. I got my curiosity met. I got the information I need, but was it God's way? We can get things done in a so-called pragmatic manner, quote-unquote practical manner, and say, well, I've gone off now. 
with what I needed, but was it God's way? It's important for us to know whether we're actually doing God's will, not by the end that was achieved. Because, as we said, the end doesn't always justify the means. But we want the means to be God's way. When my heart is at peace, when I can detect not only carnality that tries to come and take over with so-called reasoning and logic and rationalization, but the white cobra is here around the corner trying to appeal to my religious sensibilities. This urge to know all of a sudden, our urge to show that I know, there are people in Christian history, it's been very prominent in every century, where the people began well. We need to know this, it's very important. They actually began very well with God. They began to read the Bible, get close to God, begin to serve and said, oh, my greatest desire is to give my life away in the service of God. By and by, they were not watching their own hearts. And the white cobra stepped in, entered the dragon, and he began to persuade him, or that person, to begin to deviate just a little bit from God's way. And as it says in Colossians, the minds became puffed up through the revelation of so-called angels. What happened? Where did those angels come from? Those are demons disguised as the angels of God. They began to speak some of the most prominent Christian cults today, such as Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, Christian Science, and also Seventh-day Adventism. The source of it, you see, people who seem to be well and very well-versed in Scripture too. Preachers, men and women. Some bizarre things happened. They ended up in a, a total departure from God. How? Little by little, there was a suggestion from the devil. You know what this means over here? You know what God's saying here? You know, you can just kind of have it all together and I can give you different things to enhance your spirituality. What happened to them? They fell. And they took a whole lot of people with them because those people didn't bother to check themselves, their hearts, in God's presence or read the word with fear and trembling. We can go to God to get things done that humanly cannot get done. We get uh, can get done when we appeal to God, when we're obedient to Him and we trust Him. God can move somebody on the other side of the world or somebody in an ivory tower, so to speak. Go through all of the usual protocol, bypass all of the guards, and get right to the heart of that person because God said so. And all of a sudden the release of what we need comes through. God showing that He moves heaven and earth for His child. What a glorious way. Rather than fighting or fretting, at the same time, verse 2 of Proverbs 21, most importantly, to know whether my heart is justified by God Himself 
as he came to Job. And he certifies as an upright man. He's one who fears God and eschews evil. He pushes away evil. He wants no part of it. Even when it looks like it's a gain spiritually. The man has had his senses sharpened, as we read in Hebrews recently. By desiring the word of God as it is more and more, he's able to distinguish when Satan comes with a false spirituality and offer. And he rejects all of it, all the time. The devil is tired of it. I can't seem to get in to this person. And he tells his emissaries, we need to change strategies because we're wasting manpower over here. Resources just being wasted on this person. Let's go to the other person over there. They seem to be a little more open. They seem to be desiring power. There's pride, there's jealousy, there's gainsaying, there's backbiting. A lot of things happening that are just right for us to go and take over. This one, honest, humble, doesn't want anything for himself except to honor the Lord. And actually let go of the temptation for gain, for pleasure, for money, for fame. All of that's crucified. How disgusting, the devil says. I can't do anything with this person. I'm going to just redirect my forces to go get some other people who are more open. Eve was open. The tragedy happened. May the Spirit of God speak to each and every one. Whatever He wants to apply to your hearts to keep you alert and keep you successful in the fight of faith, in the journey of faith, and yield yourself to God. To ask God, Lord, I want to know myself not from my own estimation, but from what you say. I don't want to be quick to say I'm right, I'm right, I'm right. But I'd rather bring to you my heart and say, Lord, am I right? The enemy can come even to such a person and bring in a false humility and a condemnation. We need to watch for that too. There are certain people that are susceptible to that. They say, I don't want to boast and I don't want to think I'm good and so I'm going to God. But as they go to God, they won't accept what God says. They won't have faith. And so the devil comes and condemns them. And they go with that, hanging their head low, never accomplishing anything for the Lord. Dragged down into self-pity and self-condemnation. There are many different strategies the devil uses, but they're repeat strategies. If we can know that this is how he comes, we won't need to walk on eggshells, be nervous, bite our fingernails. We can know, okay, he'll come this way, and I'm always watching for that. While I'm walking with God, Nehemiah had his people, what did they do when they built the walls? They were building with one hand and they had a sword on the other hand. They were not nervous. They're not afraid they're going to fall off the ladder. They were very well poised. They knew exactly. They got the direction from God through Nehemiah and they followed. And it was successful. That's how we need to be. We need to have praise in our mouths, building the kingdom of God, doing the will of God, watching our hearts, having that sword, being vigilant.
That's how we put on the full armor of God and put it to use. Being a very careful of complacency and folly and being lax and casual when it comes to God and the things of God and ready to self-congratulate and look for people who congratulate me. We want to push all that away. But when people do condemn, uh, commend us rather, commend us, because they see changes, immediately we say praise God, we thank God, and we understand it's God's grace. And we don't stop there, we say I want to know more. Not so I can look better or act like I'm better, but because I want to know my God better, because I love Him. That's my motivation. And as I do that, power will be given from on high. God will begin to touch me at a deeper level and dispel the darkness that's around me by virtue of me loving God. Become useful in His hands, that royal cup. A message like this needs to be welcomed by every believer not original with me, from the Word of God, the call to be victorious and celebrate with deep humility and joy, but always to be vigilant that I do not rise up in any kind of haughtiness or smugness, complacency, that I watch my words and my attitudes, that it be loving, that they would be loving, they would be careful, they would be humble. Not only before God, but before man. A person that watches himself or herself, like David did, when he was walking with God, like Job did, like Daniel, like Joseph, like Nehemiah. You can actually pray like Nehemiah, Lord, don't forget what I did. Oh Lord, have mercy on me. Consider what I did for your kingdom, for your people, Lord, for your cause. It's perfectly good to say that to God. Why? Because it's true. Nehemiah was not a self-centered person. He was not in it for the gain for himself. His heart was God's glory, the blessing of God's people. What a life. No struggle with self-pity and selfish desires, but completely given over to God magnanimous spirit, noble and generous. He didn't even take what's due to him as governor fully. He gave. What a beautiful life. You know, the beautiful life in God's sight is a simple life. But the life that is contaminated with the flesh, many, many believers today are troubled. And that's why Christianity gets a bad name. God's name is dishonored, reproached. Because there's a Christianity tainted with pride and tainted with selfish gain and tainted with different things. And it's a total misrepresentation of God. Because the enemy came in and appealed to their carnality. He told Eve, didn't he? You're not going to die. When God told you, actually, it's not true. I'm sorry to say it. Let me show you the other side of this. And he got her to sign on the dotted line. She sold herself. She sold her birthright. 
And Adam went along with it. The whole human race fell. The second Adam came to make us alert. What, couldn't you watch with me one hour? Jesus came back to talk to Peter, James and John. Eyes heavy with sleep, they were sorrowful, but the Lord still rebuked them. He still cautioned them because that's not the time to sleep. It's the hour of the prince of darkness. You have to be alert. Redeem the time for the days are evil, says in Ephesians. And yet there's tremendous joy because every step we take is carefully in the footprints of the Savior. It's a desire. Lord, I need to be holy every moment. Oh God. I need to be honest every moment. Yes, Lord. I need to be humble every moment. As we begin to obey, God will give us the grace and the faith will grow and it will become easier and easier. It's really true. God's commandments are not grievous or burdensome. But it all depends on who's receiving them. When our hearts are right with God, when we have made up our minds, all of these things in the Bible are for my admonition, my warning, my caution that I avoid the pitfalls and I step on the platform God has not for self-exaltation but to make His name known everywhere. The beautiful growth God gives to every believer provided these three qualities are there Eve failed in those three things. She forgot that she's been created by God with a holy calling. What God said is to groom her for the tree of life. Do you realize that? Of every tree they may eat, and that included the tree of life. He didn't say don't eat of the tree of life, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They were supposed to be able to reach forth and eat of the tree of life and live forever. But the devil made them forfeit that by taking the bait. And the Lord said, Lest the man put forth his hand also eat of the fruit of the tree of life and live forever. It's not going to happen. It can't happen. It will be a disaster to be in that fallen state forever. God sent them out of the garden and put a flaming cherubim, cherubim with flaming sword to guard it. God's best is always in the making for us in every area. Name it, you name it, education, relationships, spiritual growth, financial blessing. God has a very specific righteous path for us to gain all the blessings. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. All these things will be added to you. But if a person becomes crooked in the process, begins to be proud that I have something and want to show people and call up people, even relatives that God says stay away from, but I want to show. Look at what God did for me in the process. Let them know that I'm somebody. The person is bound to open the door for evil spirits. It's no wonder then that the person begins to wonder what has happened why do I have this attack and that attack that should not be the case 
There are two kinds of attacks. One is God-ordained to show that we can thrive in the midst of adversity because we're following the Lord. The other one is an open door for unnecessary attacks from the devil because we didn't follow the counsel of God. Eve failed in the realization that she should be holy. She is holy. She forfeited that because she began to take counsel from an imposter. You can always go to people who make us feel good. Many, many lukewarm Christians will say, what's wrong with that? You know, you're too introspective. You're too too much into this holiness thing. You know, look at us. We're fine. We can do anything we want. We can drink beer. We can do that. We can just live it up. We can watch the late show. We go to church faithfully. We pay our tithes. We're on the men's committee and men's group and the women's committee. And we sold things for the local senior care and center and we have a wonderful life. Why can't you go to the beach and dress like that? Enjoy the water. Just ignore that. In many instances, going to the beach with what goes on there just by people walking around, you may as well say, well, you can go right there and step into that street and uh, spend some time in that corner of that block there where everybody's shooting drugs and say, I'm a believer. I can be here because I want to get to know them and I want to play cards with them. Everybody's shooting drugs there. But uh, it doesn't bother me. That's folly. It's setting oneself up for fall. Even if drugs is not a particular Christian's past, all kinds of evil will be there. Because the people are doing the devil's will. Implicitly. We need to understand God calls us to be holy and separate. The other thing that Eve failed to do is she refused to be humble enough to say, I'm not going to trust my judgment here. This appeal that's coming to me to make what God said look foolish something that is not good and I'm going to run to God right now call on him I'm going to go tell my husband I need help the humility wasn't there I can handle this I can talk to this guy I can think for myself I'm an independent woman the white cobra got her and thirdly, she failed to be honest. She failed to self-diagnose herself that this thing is coming on strong. And I can find myself gravitating toward this. And it's not what God said. 
this is not good. She didn't say that. She didn't have that self-talk that's so necessary, especially when we have the Spirit of God, to say, this is not good. This is going in the wrong direction right now. But she went with it. God comes and checks our hearts. It's a wonderful thing when God can say, I see that your heart is holy. Oh, thank you, Lord. I can see that your heart is humble. Thank you, Lord. I can see that your heart is honest. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you out of the situation. Whatever it is. It can be some temptation for some exhibition of carnality, the old nature. Or it can be some kind of lure to make somebody more spiritual, quote-unquote, the devil's way. And God is able to stop that right there because we were found to be holy, humble, and honest. Very, very critical because many, many people we have seen personally over the years have fallen into these two categories and they're in massive confusion today as well as loss of spiritual sensibility altogether. They're in delusion. Confusion and delusion. And they're thinking that they're actually doing very well spiritually. You can see what they listen to, what they preach, how they live their lives and who they associate with and how they spend their time even in so-called ministry. It's totally outside the will of God. And you see the fruit of it. Pride. Self-promotion. Eyes on the prize. What's the prize? Money. Material gain. What a tragedy. The Apostle Paul, by the Spirit of God, says that's a greediness, that's a covetousness that a person cannot go to heaven with. But they think it's okay because it's under a religious type of flavor there. Religious veneer. Now we check ourselves as long as we can say, Lord, I want to be patient and wait upon you. I want to be like a weaned child. It's a wonderful picture God paints there in Psalms 131. Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor my eyes lofty. Neither do I concern myself with things too high for me. Surely I have behaved and quieted myself. Have you ever quieted yourself? King David wrote this. As a child that is weaned of his mother. child is crying all the time. But when it gets weaned, it's able to stay still and there's a maturity there, physiologically and mentally, psychologically. My soul is even as a weaned child. Imagine the great King David, 
mighty warrior. His name was known all over the region. They feared him. Saul killed his thousands, David ten thousands. It was sung. He says, my soul is as a weaned chalic, a little baby, just gone into that stage of being able to be quiet. My soul is even as a weaned child. Let Israel hope in the Lord from henceforth and forever. Curiosity must be dismissed. The urge to be impulsive must be destroyed. In place of those things, a contentment that my heart is holy, humble and honest. And that's the greatest thing God is looking for right now in this situation, any situation, any time. If those things are there, then I can wait. I can pray. I can be in step with the Spirit. You know, there are many things. I mentioned this before as we close this morning. A child from its earliest stages in a functional family is given a host of counsel and advice and orders from the parents in a functional family. That's the way it is. Because the child is a child, needs direction, needs a structure of instruction and rearing. And so, if the child is on the phone too long, the parent says, you know, you're on the phone too long. You do your homework. Or who are you speaking to? Child's eating habits. You know, you should eat this because this has good vitamins and won't have that junk that can destroy you. You should go to sleep now. It's bedtime. The entire life of the child is controlled by the parent and that's how it ought to be because the child cannot self-regulate self-advise because it's immature he or she's immature the parent is there to guide and to instruct and to command you need to clean up your room that's not how we do it in this house you need to clean up after yourself you know when you talk to mom or dad you don't say hey I'm your father, I'm your mother. There's a certain level of respect that should be reflected in your conversation. That's correct. The child learns things from outside perhaps or from the media and tries to bring that in and that home that has uh, wise parents and is functional. And the parents won't allow certain things because they're the stepping stones for further rebellion. Little teasers put out here and there. Can I do this? How much can I push? And the wise parents are able to see this direction is not from this home. This is from outside. And yet, when people become adults, and this is what was related a few times in the morning call, it's very easy for us to do whatever we feel like and have no one to tell us what to do. No one to tell us you're on the phone too long and this is what you should eat and this is when you need to go to bed and this is what you need to do here and this is what you shouldn't do. 
Who would tell us? You know, you're too impulsive. Who would tell us that you have this curiosity that can kill you? Who would tell us that you're quick to speak, not slow? You ought to be quick to listen. Who, who can tell us these things? We need to understand we have a parent, no matter how old we get. Even if somebody should live as long as Methuselah, 969 years, the longest living human being on record from the Word of God. 960 years old, almost a millennium old, still a child of God getting orders, direction from the Almighty. If we can retain that concept that I need instruction, I need guidance. And of course, God has spiritual parents and He has offices in the church. The genuine giftings, the true calling. The Spirit of God works through to guide us and instruct us and grow us up. That's exactly what is written in Ephesians chapter 4. That everyone in the body may grow up into maturity, spiritual maturity. How? Through the apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers and pastors and now if I become teachable and I'm not competitive but don't think well I have a lot of experience under my belt so right now this is a partnership you know the pastors there the evangelist or the prophet it's more like a partnership I, I'll listen to it and I'll pick and choose and we'll see how it goes from there that will be an impediment for sure we witness that over and over again. An impediment to the person's own soul for really gaining and growing. But the point is that no matter who we are, all of us, we are God's children and we must always be open to His instruction, His correction, His counsel, His way of doing things. Eve should have humbled herself and said, wait a minute, my husband and I were created by God and he put us in this beautiful garden and he told us exactly what's good. He's trustworthy. He's awesome. He's almighty. I'm not listening to anything else. No thank you. Get out. She began to entertain the devil's suggestions. We want to know we have power with God when our hearts are under the power of God, the rule of God. Proverbs 21, 1 and 2. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We're able to function in a truly functional family, spiritual family, because God is our Heavenly Father and He has set up everything in a perfect order for a perfect maturity spiritually so that we won't have loss and we won't be tricked Deceived by the cunningness, cunningness of this serpent who's still doing the same things today to people who are open. But we want to be those people that are marked in hell as public enemy number one and yet the frustration of hell because the devil cannot get in to our lives because we build the kingdom of God with one hand and we have a sword in the other hand, the word of God. We have a vigilance. 
And we're walking in the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Champions for the Lord Jesus. No white cobra is going to get us. Hallelujah. Because we're holy, honest, and humble. To listen to God's word. And we are keen on building the kingdom of God, seeking his kingdom and his righteousness first, and vigilant to do our part to keep the intruder out. Imagine if every single believer was like that. Just as much as Nehemiah and his associates, his brethren, built that wall successfully. Inasmuch as the people who were encouraged by the prophet Haggai through the Holy Spirit to don't be slack, not be slack and build the temple and they accomplished it in about 20 years. Things got done in the kingdom of God. God can count on us to be the same way, to have a glorious testimony. And uh, we'll be right on schedule with God's eternal purposes for each of us. What a glory, what a delight. As we read often in the book of Proverbs, we see a wise son makes his heart's, uh, father's heart glad. We'll always make our father's heart glad because we are holy, humble and honest. Is it automatic? No. Can we fall in this and fail? Yes, if we don't watch. Do we have to? Absolutely no. Not. There are examples in the Bible of people who did not stumble. And the great encouragement from the book of Second Peter 1 and elsewhere is that the one who has these qualities, divine qualities, adding to the faith, virtue and knowledge and temperance and patience, godliness, brotherly kindness and love, that person will not stumble. Will have clear 2020 spiritual vision and have a rich welcome and who's going to be there God himself will give us the crown of life crown of righteousness the life and the time passes we think where did 30 years go how did I get to be 50 all of a sudden I can remember the things I did when I was 20 as if it were yesterday the places I went and the people I knew in school. How did you get to be 60 or 70? 25. The eternal program, the purpose of God, occurs in time. While time has been created for that purpose and will be dissolved soon at a certain point in God's program. That time continues and the critical thing we need to know is as time continues and people celebrate New Year's every year, there are certain things that God wants to accomplish in us and He wants us to do also. 
we want to be exactly on God's schedule. Watch out for the cobra that comes to appeal to our carnality. And watch out for the white cobra that comes religiously to appeal to our spiritual desires in a wrong way. And determine, I will not fall like Eve. I want to be noble. I want to be like Priscilla in the New Testament. Wise and able to lead other people, even eloquent preachers, closer to the Lord, along with the husband. Diligent in working. Apprehending everything God has given. To be productive in God's kingdom. Having the eternal perspective. They have to work. Tent makers, like the Apostle Paul, have to work. Lydia, have a family to take care of, things to do. But the heart is after the living God. How? Very keen on remaining holy, humble and honest. Praise God. Shall we pray? Thank you, Heavenly Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, from these two verses, Lord. Things that you've told us that are good for our soul, good medicine, and protection for everyone who has ears to hear, eyes to see. Lord, that we will not fall if we do these things you've told us to do. There'll be a steady maturation, a steady growth. And Lord, we will be invincible because the invincible God is dwelling within us, well pleased with us. Blessed be your name, Lord. We thank you, Father. Oh, Father, I thank you for your mighty deliverance against Satan. Overturning the work of Satan, Lord, in every life. Oh, God, I thank you that no matter what way he comes, through the mind, against the spirit, the soul, against the body, that you rout the enemy every single time through the blood of Jesus, through the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Help us to walk circumspectly with wisdom, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Every moment count for eternity, Lord. To change, Lord, where we need to change. To always have that rejoicing with trembling before the presence of Almighty God. And thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You've been good to me. You've been good to us. Even when we had to go through the fire. Even when we had to go over the river, across the river. You've been with us. You've been good to us. You're a faithful, great shepherd of the sheep. You always lead us to green pastures and still waters. And even when we have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil because you're with us all the way until we can testify surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.